at First Lutheran Church in Minot, North Dakota. The Holy Gospel according to John, the 10th chapter. Then Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, If you continue in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. They answered him. Then Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, If you continue in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. They answered him, We are descendants of Abraham, and we have never been slaves to anyone. What do you mean by saying, You will be free? Jesus answered them, Very truly I tell you, everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not have a permanent place in the household. The son has a place there forever. So if the son makes you free, you will be free indeed. The Gospel of the Lord. You may be seated. Well, the namesake of our Christian tradition and everyone's favorite medieval German monk, Martin Luther, thought that the key to understanding scripture and the life of faith is being able to distinguish between law and gospel. So I thought today, in honor of Martin Luther and the Reformation, we could think a little bit about what Jesus says in our John reading assigned for today and see if we can determine whether Jesus is speaking law or gospel. You will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. Is that good news? It sure sounds like the gospel coming from Jesus' lips. But is it good news for us? Maybe. God setting us free, it sounds like a positive development. We like freedom. So when it sounds like pure gospel, what is there in that that could possibly convict us when Jesus makes that statement? Well, we don't have to look any further than the following verse and the response of the very people that Jesus was speaking to when he made that gospel proclamation. Because when Jesus says, you will know the truth and the truth will make you free, they are affronted. They are confused and indignant. They say, what do you mean by saying you will be made free? We are free, they say. Just look at us. Nobody tells us what to do. We're in charge of our own lives. Why do you think we need you to make us free? In fact, um, these folks probably take it a little too far in a claim that's almost comical. They say, we are descendants of Abraham and have never been slaves to anyone. Well, for you and me and all who know the story of, the, of Abraham's descendants can recall that Abraham's descendants spent hundreds of years doing backbreaking labor in slavery in Egypt. And in the very most central story of the Jewish people, which is the Passover story, God himself brought them up out of Egypt and delivered them through the Red Sea 
God led them through the wilderness and into the promised land. But in our passage for today, these particular people seem to only be speaking of the reality of the current moment. And so they say they have never been slaves to anyone. And again, how could Jesus possibly think they were in need of him granting them freedom? Well, does any of this start to feel familiar? Can you sense the tension here? Because there's a thing about free people, like them and like us, and that is that we just tend to have blind spots about what actually enslaves us. These people listening to Jesus were probably citizens of the Roman Empire, or at least they knew their place within that empire, and they were certainly not slaves in the social order. They were free men. In the same way, we are granted freedoms by our social order today. Thanks to our United States Constitution and all of our wonderful amendments to it, these freedoms that we experience within the reality of our current moment are amazing. They're admirable. They're important, and they're so valuable in this life. But the reality of the current moment is just that. It's momentary. It's fleeting. It's as transient as the social orders that come and go in the rise and fall of human civilizations throughout history. In this moment in John chapter 8, those worldly freedoms were the only thing in view for Jesus' listeners. But those freedoms are nothing you can stake eternity on. The substantial freedoms that any of us enjoy in this world quickly pale in importance to the ultimate realities that Jesus addresses with his teaching and through his life and death and resurrection. Because when it comes to what is most important in the scope of eternity, we are not free at all. We are slaves. This is what makes Jesus promise of freedom a bit of a mixed blessing. Because to claim the good news of freedom, we are first made to acknowledge the implications of Jesus' statement that we, on our own, are not free. Very truly, I tell you, says Jesus, everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. We already know this, at least on some level. In fact, we just told each other a little earlier in our service. Together, we prayed that truth out loud to God in our confession. We said to God before one another, we confess that we are captive to sin. Or sometimes we say, we confess that we are in bondage to sin, and we cannot free ourselves. And so we said, God, have mercy on us. Together, we humbled ourselves and we realized once again that there is nothing we can do to make ourselves free from the forces of sin and death, from the forces in our world and in ourselves that defy God and defy God's ultimate power and divinity. If we confess sincerely each week, we become painfully aware that we need the gospel. We need Jesus. 
When we are prepared to acknowledge that we are captive to sin, then Jesus' statement in verse 32 begins to shine with the bright light of hope for eternity. When we are humble enough to recognize our own identity and our true circumstance, this verse sounds with the ring of gospel truth and sounds like the great good news it is for us. You will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. So for those of you who came today looking for a symbol of freedom in this place of worship, look to the cross of Jesus Christ. The cross and all that was shown and offered and accomplished through it means that the Holy Cross is the one and only symbol of our surpassing and eternal freedom. For those of you who came today looking for a symbol of your identity in the sanctuary, you will see it most clearly in the baptismal font, where you were drowned and raised to live again, claimed and named as a redeemed child of God, which is the most important identity any of us could ever hope to profess. You will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. So, you lovely Lutherans, what have you determined? Is this law or is this gospel? Well, as we have seen, it functions as both. First, demanding that we look honestly at who we are and acknowledge that we are slaves to sin. But secondly, and ultimately, when we have recognized our inability to free ourselves, it proclaims the gracious activity of God for us when the Son makes us free indeed. Now, this verse raises one more very important question. How will we know the truth? What if we fill out the wrong bubble in the multiple choice form, or what if we mix up the order of the words in the truth formula? No, 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 Jesus has said. I am the truth. In John 14, John says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Therefore, knowing the truth is no more and no less than knowing Jesus Christ. Knowing the truth is opening ourselves to the often difficult teachings of Jesus. It's entering into a relationship in which we seek to know our beloved better, following his example and emulating his love and compassion and grace and mercy for all people. Are you searching for freedom? Jesus himself will set you free. And indeed, he already has. Thanks be to God, and to God be the glory.